Hey everyone, and welcome back to Fellowship Greenville Student Ministry. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series called Practicing the Way of Jesus. This week is all about reading the Bible and the role of God's Word in our lives. We have a guest speaker, Jim Thompson, who gives us four pictures, three questions, two stories, and one Lord to help us learn the value of God's Word. Follow along, and we hope you enjoy this message. What's up, amigos? How are you guys doing? Um, I was just over doing the membership class, and so I just sped over here to hang out with y'all, um, and I'm honored to do so. Um, so this semester-ish of life and teaching in here, you guys have been talking about, and you've taken a couple breaks here and there, but you've been talking about practicing the way of Jesus. Matt's been talking to you guys about that, which is such a beautiful thing that you should never stop thinking about and never stop asking questions about. But the tagline that Matt was telling me that you guys have been using is, uh, does anybody know it? Does anybody want to drop it on us? We will experience, anybody, you got it? Like deep in your heart? Anybody? Good, I'll take it. Uh, We will experience the life Jesus offers us. We won't experience the life Jesus offers us until we embrace the lifestyle that he modeled. And you guys have been talking about that in different ways, whether you're talking about solitude or Sabbath or prayer, whatever you're talking about. And so this evening, super honored to get to share with you guys about scripture, understanding God's word, understanding scripture is one of our core values. And if you want to pay, if you want to pay attention to the life that God actually has for you, not whatever you want, not what you think you understand as a 17 or 16 year old. No, 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 no. If you want the exact life that God has for you, you will pay attention to the way of Jesus and you will pay attention to scripture because Scripture is the story of which Jesus is the hero. And that's a fragile thing to understand Scripture. Dude, this is an old book. It's a big book. It's a fat book. There's some really beautiful, amazing, and wonderful, incredible things like get a tattoo of it. And there's some other things that are just just a giant question mark like, dear God, what in the Moses is that? I have no idea. And so this is a big book. Um, And so I hope the rest of your lives you'll be thinking well about what does it mean to understand uh, Scripture. Um, And if you want resources or if you want to come sit in my office and we can have a conversation about that and sip coffee, I'd be more than happy to. But this is a book that was just written, and it's really, really, it's got a funny uh, cover too, uh, How Not to Read the Bible. And it's, and it's, the subtitle is Making Sense of All the Seemingly Anti-Women, Anti-Science, Pro-Violence, Pro-Slavery, and Other Crazy Parts of the Bible. And if you see, there's some really beautiful cartoons and dinosaurs and dragons, etc., and anti-shellfish shrimp there on the, on the left, if you look. So this guy, Dan Kimball, is a pastor out in California, and he's been thinking about these things for a long time. And that book's really, really insightful and thoughtful. So if you want to do a deep dive on all that, that's a great resource to get. Um, and... And here's just a side note. You ready? The best seller of all time is Holy Scripture, and nothing else even comes close. Nothing else comes. In fact, I've seen lists where if you add 2 through 10 on the bestseller list, if you add, there's some will still not surpass Holy Scripture. And so you owe it to human history, human decency, and the way that just life has worked on this planet to understand the bestseller of all time, i.e. the Bible. And so that's a great resource for that. I'm happy to throw more of y'all's way. Uh, if you'd like. But here's what I want to do for just 30 minutes this evening. I've got four pictures, kind of snapshots. I've got four pictures. I've got three questions. I've got two stories and one Lord. So one Jesus at the end. So we're going to do four pictures, three questions, two stories, and one Jesus, one Lord. And the reason we're doing this little funnel, four, three, two, one, is I just want to encourage you guys and push you guys to realize that you're more dependent on this book than you currently think. And that's what I want to encourage you guys with. So here we go. Four pictures, and these are four snapshots out of the Bible. You don't have to flip there in your Bible because I want you to just kind of feel these stories. But the first one is going to be Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, 1 through 8. The people are coming back from exile, so they've been in captivity. They're coming back from exile, and Ezra and Nehemiah and this guy named Zerubbabel, he leads them back. And they get back in the land, and they start to rebuild the temple. They're all giddy. They're like, yo, we're doing stuff. We're obeying God. We're starting to rebuild the altar. Like, this is great. We feel God's promises coming true again. And this guy named Ezra is like Bible preacher, scholar, scribe person. And so one day, as they're rebuilding life back in the promised land uh, that God had for them, this is what happens. Nehemiah chapter 8. And if you're trying to actually find your way to Nehemiah, it's right before Psalms. So go to Psalms and take a left. And this is a story, like nobody reads the story, Nehemiah uh, and Ezra here. So, Nehemiah chapter 8, just listen for a second. All the people gathered as one person into the square before the water gate. 
And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early in the morning until midday in the presence of men and women and those who could understand. And all the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. Okay, pause for a second. He read from the book of the law. What's that? All right, good. Ten Ten Commandments is in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. But the book of the law is the first five books of the Bible. Now, in the first five books of the Bible, there's a book called Leviticus. And Leviticus is, um, if detached from history, it's like a, a literary prayer request. It's kind of awkward. It's kind of strange. Seriously, guys, it's pretty, pretty awkward. So <clears throat> this guy, Ezra, he's reading from the first five books of the Bible. And how long is he reading? Look at the verse. Look at verse 3. From early morning until midday. So my guy is reading the first five books of the Bible. I, I want you to just go try to read Genesis straight through, and you'll be like, I need a nap, and I'm on chapter 3. That's what's going to happen. This guy's reading it for six hours. Okay, Ezra's reading it for six hours. Verse 4. And Ezra the scribe, he stood on a wooden platform, verse 4, that they had made for this purpose. So they made like special mega pulpit for Ezra as he read from the first five books for six hours. And all these people with weird names were standing beside him in verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people because he's standing up above the people. And as he opened the book, the people stood. Six hours stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, And all the people answered. Okay, pause. I don't know why you come on Sunday nights. I don't know if you come because she's here or if you come to get away from your mom and dad or if you come because, you know, you appreciate life with the homies and you like to see your amigos. That's that's good. No no sweat, no sweat. I don't know why you come. I don't know what your response is when Matt or whoever teaches. When the Bible's being read, I don't know if you're like, dude, I can't hang with that or like, yeah, that's... I'll get to that, but just give me a few years to do nothing. Like, I don't know what your response is. Or maybe you come on Sunday morning, and after 45 minutes of me or Charlie running our mouths, you're like, this is great, but i got to go to Sausaritas. Like, I don't know what your response is. But here's, here's the thing that just messes with my brain. Six hours of the first five books of the Bible, and look at how these people respond in the middle of verse 6. And all the people answered. Also, if you want to know how many people it is, it's 50,000 if you read at the end of chapter 7. 50,000 people, no microphone. And all the people, this is how they responded to the reading of the first five books of the Bible for six hours. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. And they lifted up their hands and they bowed their faces low to the ground and they worshiped the Lord. Is that your posture towards anything that God's doing in your life? That you are pummeled to lay down on your face and be like, God, you're so holy, you're so big, and you're so true, and you're so right, and you're so real, and you're so glorious. You don't have any time or space to do that. And even if you did, could your heart get there? So how do we, this is picture one, how do we end up being like, like Nehemiah? This gave these people life, and it's so weird and distant to us. So if it's life giving for these people and not to us, I'm going to go with we're the ones who need heart change and not them. That's picture one, Nehemiah chapter eight. Here comes picture two. Picture two is Jeremiah 15, 16. You can flip there if you want. I'll just tell you, this is not a story. It's just a simple verse. Jeremiah, actually, he preached for 30 years and nobody listened. Um, I get frustrated when I preach for 30 minutes and nobody listens. So he preached for 30 years, twice your age, and nobody listened. He got thrown in a dungeon. Thanks a lot, guys. Like, this is Jeremiah's life. He preached for 30 years and nobody listened. And Jeremiah 15, 16 says, Lord, <clears throat> your words were found. I discovered, I saw, I realized your words, your truth. <clears throat> your words were found, and I ate them. Not like, sniff, sniff, nibble, nibble. Nope. Your words were found, and I ate them. I digested them. They became part of me. They gave me life. They sustained me. They nourished me. Your words were found, and I ate them. And the next line says, and they became, became to me my joy and my heart's delight. Your words were found, and I ate them, and they became to me my joy and my heart's delight. It's good to sometimes flip Bible verses inside out. Lord, I found your word. I knew that this was your truth, that this actually tells the truth about the world more than a, what's her name on TikTok, even though she's really funny. Like, I know that this is actually the right perspective. 
but it's old and it takes too much time. And it doesn't get me cultural cool points. And it's not going to get me more followers or more friends. But I know that this is truth. So let's, let's, let's invert and turn inside out Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found. And I used them whenever I wanted to feel something. And I became disgruntled, depressed, and frustrated. Do you see? Your words were found. And I ate them. I devoured them. They became life to me. And what was the life? Delight and joy. I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead and punch in the equation. If you really want to be annoyed, you're just kind of low-key angry, like a pilot light, sto- like on the oven, pilot light of anger and frustration your whole life. If you want to be generally bothered by people and think that you know, if you want to avoid joy, please, by all means, keep your Bible shut. Just do it. Just keep it shut. Don't crack it. If anybody's up here reading it, don't consider it. Don't ask questions about it. Don't think well about it. So picture one, we need to be like Nehemiah, excuse me, Ezra. Picture two, we need to be like Jeremiah. <laughs> Picture three, Acts chapter 17, verse 11. <clears throat> Acts chapter 17, verse 11. This is uh, Saul Paul. He was Saul. His name got changed to Paul. He's traveling around. He's preaching about Jesus. <clears throat> and he gets to uh, a city named Berea, like the backside of Greenville. It's exactly what we're talking about here. And it says, now these Jews in this city named Berea... They were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. That would be like Pickens. And they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. What do you mean these things? Here's what I'm talking about. Saul Paul is traveling around telling everybody, hey, Jesus was dead, now he's undead, and that should change everything about your existence. He's traveling around telling all these people this, and some people are like, Jesus, who, what, what are you saying? And he's begging them to go, look, this is reality. The thing that you think, the projection of your needs is not reality. Jesus crucified and undead, killing death is reality. And that's good news, and we gotta, we gotta get our life in line with that. So Paul is running around telling people this, and you ready for this? Paul has the entire Old Testament, not just the first five books of the Bible, the entire Old Testament memorized. Definitely in Hebrew, probably in Aramaic, and a little bit of Greek, maybe a little sprinkling of Latin in there. So my dude's got the entire Old Testament memorized in, let's just say, two and a half languages. And so these Jews in Berea, look at what it says about them again. They were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica because they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to make sure that these things were so. What things? The things that Paul was saying. Meaning, meaning. They're like, hey, dude, I know you have the whole Bible memorized in two and a half languages, but I'm still going to check you on your sources. I'm not going to believe what you say. I'm going to believe what this says. Now, if I know a guy, if I'm talking to a dude who has the Bible memorized in two languages, I'm just going to be like, dude, say whatever you want. I'll just be like, yeah. Like, I'm not even going to like pray about it. I'm going to be like, yeah, dude, whatever you just said. That's what I'm going to do. No, no, no. Not these people in Berea. It says they were more noble-minded. So we need to be like Ezra. We need to be like Jeremiah. We need to be like these Bereans here. Fourth picture. John chapter 6. Man, John chapter 6 is pretty wild. You should go read it later. Jesus is saying all the weird stuff like, hey, you can't have life unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Yay, cannibalism. Like, it's a pretty strange little. And then there's the like, hey, you can't come to me unless the Father who sent me draws you. So you're like, is that the predestination thing? Because that smells a little fishy. Like, that's a Peter joke. And so it's like, he's saying a lot of stuff in John chapter 6. Jesus is saying a lot of weird stuff. And he's getting to the end of the chapter in John 6. And it even says, they were like, hey, man, that's a really hard saying. I don't know what we're going to do with that. And John 6, 66, pun, verses were added later, 666, says a lot of people who were following Jesus quit following him after that day. It's an easy one to remember, 666. A lot of people who were following Jesus were like, hey, when I don't understand something, I'm, I'm out of here. If you have questions about your faith, that means your faith is real. It doesn't mean you should ditch it. Okay? So that's 666. People who were following were like, no, I can't do it anymore. And then you get to 68. And Peter, big mouth Peter, I'll walk on water, I'll cut his ear off Peter. Big mouth Peter. Listen to what he said. In the face of all that stuff, all the hard stuff Jesus was saying, this is what Peter says. Lord, where else can we go? I mean, where else is going to give me truth 
that lasts through all the pain, that lasts through all the relationships, that lasts through all my frustration? Where else is going to give me hope? Where else is going to be an anchor? You have the words of eternal life. How do you think I'm going to get meaning and purpose and fulfillment and truth and love? Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. I don't care if I have question marks. If anything, that proves the thing is real, and that's why I gotta have you, Jesus. I gotta have your word. I gotta have your truth. Where else can you go? Like part of me, and this is not solicited advice from any of your student leadership, but part of me wants to go go to college and do everything that you were raised not to do. Just go. Just go run and go as hard as you can and see what happens. I'll tell you what happens. Brick wall after brick wall after dead end after dead end after dead end. And you'll be like, no, dude, I'm almost there. Because when I'm 25, I'm going to get this job. Boom, cash. You don't even know. No, no. With a side of no, it's not going to happen. Where else can we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. So you want to practice the way of Jesus. Dude, there's life there, I swear. I'm 40, I gotta say these things, okay? <clears throat> there's life there. Life more than the stuff that you're scratching at right now trying to find fulfillment. There's so much life there. But guess what that means? <clears throat> Following the way of Jesus means knowing the Bible that Jesus know, n- knew and the Bible that is about him, the story that points to him. <clears throat> and along the way, that means we're gonna have to look like these people in these four pictures. We're gonna have to somehow learn to be like Nehemiah. We're gonna have to somehow learn to be like Jeremiah or Ezra, Jeremiah, and then the Bereans, and even Peter, and and John chapter 6. Now, again, that's four pictures. I could give you a thousand little things about learning to read your Bible and being faithful with Bible reading. And yes, learning to read your Bible is, is, um, it's an art, all right? The point is to keep doing it. The point is not to arrive at full understanding and be like, well, I can just kind of sew that thing shut. Like, how many of you know exactly what you ate four months ago today for lunch? And if you did, way to go, right? Then you are very impressive. But look, look at me. Hey, look up here. You don't know what you ate four months ago today, but, but please get this. It sustained you. It, it kept you alive. So the same with God's word. You need to just keep eating it, even if you have questions, even if you're still looking for principles about how to do it. <clears throat> So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give you three questions. Four pictures, three, qu- three questions. Four pictures, three questions. Here's the first question. Here's the first question. The first question is, what's the context? Now, here's what, here's what I mean by that. I'm talking about actual questions that you should ask when you sit down to read your Bible. This doesn't sound really spiritual, right? What's the context? But it matters. Like, if, you're, if you just open your Bible and you let it flop open and you see that Judas hung himself. You're like, that's not the encouragement I needed for today, Lord. Come on, step up your game, God. Like, that's, that, that's not the way to do it. But if you read that that was because of Judas's disobedience and his unwillingness to trust God's plan, if you read that in context, if you read that in flow. So context just means what's the situatedness? What's the space around it? What does a word mean in a certain culture? What does a sentence mean in a certain paragraph? What does an idea mean in a certain worldview? There are certain people who say, who say certain things, and I know that that means more coming from them. <clears throat> There's a woman in this church who, uh, she grew up and her dad was a Christian counselor, and she went to a Christian school, <clears throat> she went to a Christian college, and her dad knew all the answers. He had degrees, he had an undergraduate degree, he had a master's degree, he had a doctorate degree, <clears throat> and her dad knew all the right Christian Bible answers, but he was a, he was a terrible dad. And that woman in this church can't stand when people say nice things because she thinks nice things and the right answers are just a front to get her to do <clears throat> what she needs to do. And she did not hear her dad tell her that, she, that he loved her until she was 31 years old. So for her to say the words, <clears throat> I love you, that context, that context changes the meaning of the word to whereas... It might be different from some other people. Some other people are just like, hey, I love you. How's it going? Hey, I love you. What would you eat for lunch? Hey, I love you. Like, right? So context, digging deep into why a thing is there when you read Scripture is super, super, super important. So when you're reading the Bible, go, what's the context here? Why is it saying, 
what it's saying this way. And again, that might lead you to go get a commentary, to bother your small group leader, to bother Matt or email me and be like, hey, I need a commentary on this. Abby Race a couple years ago. Is Abby Race here tonight? Is she here? No, she's not. And Abby Race was a senior a couple years ago. She goes, hey, can you give me a commentary on the book of Isaiah? And I was like, absolutely. And I just gave it to her. I said, what for? She's like, I just want to read the whole thing. And I was like, a million points for you. I love you so much, right? She wanted to explore the thing and ask the question, what's the context? So that we might rightly understand God's word as he gave it to us. So that's the first question to ask. What's the context? <laughs> Second question we should ask while we read the Bible is this, up on the screens. Da-da-da-da. What's repeated? What's repeated? <clears throat> so as you're reading the Bible, notice repeated words or repeated phrases. See why the word glory is repeated 14 times in this single chapter in 2 Corinthians. What is Paul doing? Why is he saying that? Notice where words are repeated. Sometimes it'll start a story with the same word and it'll end a story with the same word. That's like a bookend to tell you what the whole thing's about. And they use words far less than we did. We're just tweeting out and texting out words all day, every day. Their, their use of words, the, the biblical writer's use of words was so, more, so much more important and pregnant and had so much... Be- more potential. They were trying to accomplish so much more with their words. So when you're reading, <clears throat> I mean, even right here in my, my Bible, I have like, I got a double underlined red with the word therefore because I see another therefore right here. And so write in your Bible, scribble in your Bible, and particularly about things that are repeated because the biblical writers are trying to communicate things to you with repeated words. That's what they're trying to do. <clears throat> next, next question to ask. <clears throat> what does this say about God and about us. What is this passage of scripture saying about God and about us? Now, this could be difficult, but when you open your Bible to read it, first of all, if if you have a question about a translation, just get one that you can read. Find time to read it. I would encourage you not to read it on your phone. If you need to get a study Bible, get a study Bible, look at the footnotes, do all that stuff. But you don't read the Bible to say that you read the Bible. You read the Bible to go, God, I need to know who you truly are and who I truly am and who you've called me to be so that I can put you on display. And so you might read and not find the English word Y-O-U and be like, well, dang it, I'm going to have to give up on Leviticus again. Like, that, that might be the case. It might be tough. But if you read patiently and go, Lord, I'm going to try to step back and just think what is being said here in this passage about who you are. Because if you do that, that's how Jesus thought about Scripture. He thought, my Father has had a plan, a plan revealed in his word. And I, he's sending me down there to be the fulfillment of that plan. And that is a commentary on who he is as Father. And so when you read Scripture, you will see things that are true about God. In fact, this is such an important idea. This is such an important question that on Sunday mornings in church here, Uh, This summer, we're going to do just who is God, and we're going to do a series on the attributes of God. God is holy. What does that mean? We sing it. What does it actually mean? God is worthy. What does that mean? Who is he? When we read scripture, what is what we're reading say about him? And similarly, this is two sides of one coin, what is it saying about us? That we're made in his image, that that image is broken, that we have great needs to trust him and depend on him more than self? What is a passage of scripture saying about us? Like, let's just take the last one we, um, we read in John, John 6 a moment ago. It said a lot of people <clears throat> quit following Jesus because Jesus was talking about hard stuff. Is that ever like you? To me, that says that sometimes people can be wishy-washy and fickle. Do, are, do you just give up when something gets hard? When faith stuff gets hard, are you just like, eh? But it also said about Peter that he had a certain kind of resolve. So there, it is in within us to be determined to follow God rightly. It's there to follow Jesus rightly, to follow the way of Jesus, to, to, to uh, embrace the lifestyle that he modeled for us. And Peter understood that in that snapshot of John, that picture of John 6. <clears throat> so three questions. What's the context? What's repeated? That's a really simple, practical one. And next, what is this passage saying about us and about God? Four pictures, three questions. Now we're going to look at two stories. Two story. Really simple. My story 
and God's story, and we'll look at my story first. I got a pretty picture for you. This is a really high, high res uh, picture. I just drew that with a circle in my cup on my desk earlier. Um, yeah, it's high quality photography. How you guys doing? Everybody okay? Good, good, good. Eleven out of ten. Yeah, go team. Okay, <laughs> let's say that this story, excuse me, this circle represents. Um, your story, your individual story for your life. Now, <clears throat> let's just say that you start to stuff a bunch of different things in your story. You're like, okay, dude, I need, I gotta have a girlfriend because I have to. I don't know why, but I have to. And I should probably get good grades. That'd be important. So I could, that, that would help mom and dad shut up a little bit if I got good grades. Um, I should probably play a sport thing. I should do that. Yay, sports. I should do that. <clears throat> I should listen to this music. <clears throat> I don't really like it, but these people are cool, and they like it. So I'm going to put that music in my story. And you start to fill this circle, your story, with all these different kinds of things. And those things are giving you meaning, and those things are giving you purpose. Those things are sustaining you day by day. <clears throat> and somewhere along the way, next slide, you decide, you know what? I'm going to need God to be a part of my story. God's a, tri- a red triangle tonight. I'm going to need God to be a part of my story for my story to make sense. And you realize, you know what, dude? I, I do need Jesus. I, the world is broken, my heart's broken, and I, I need him. And so you invite God to be a part of your story. Now, trick question, intentionally uh, pastor trick question, is that a wrong way to think or a right way to think? Well, certainly it's not wrong, Jim, because... I mean, for me to have any hope, i got to have God a part of my life. And I would say, yeah. Yeah, but that's like looking at the Grand Canyon through a straw. You miss it. You miss it big time, man. Two stories. Four pictures, three questions, two stories. First story. That's first story. That's your story. The real way to think about it is this. Next slide. All right, this is God's story, and he puts everything in there for himself to have meaning, for himself to feel glorified, and for the things that matter most to matter most. So he creates rocks and trees and skies and seas and planets and grass and clouds and people and faces and feet and singing and worship. He creates all these amazing, wonderful, incredible, incredible, beautiful things. He made all of it. And all of it puts himself on display as the only worthy, good, true, glorious, awesome, eternal God. And then, for some odd reason, next slide, he calls you to be a part of his story. The Bible, watch this, Holy Scripture tells that story that God is inviting you to be a part of. And guess what? This is looking at the Grand Canyon the way you're supposed to and not through a straw. You get the full panorama of everything that God is up to when Holy Scripture is open and your heart is open to Holy Scripture because then you realize that God is inviting you to be a part of his story and it's not just you going, I guess I'll let you in mine. That's the wrong way to think about it. Rather, God is calling you, inviting you, wooing you, pleading with you, urging with you, come live in my story. It is coming true and yours is going to be Brick wall after brick wall after dead end after dead end if you do it on your own. And scripture pleads with us, do not live in your own dead end story. There's no life there. There's no hope there. Doesn't mean you won't have questions, but where else are you going to go? These are the words of eternal life. Jesus is the word of eternal life. Where else are you going to go? Four pictures, three questions, two stories, and one Lord, one Jesus. And here's why I say it like this. is because if you're reading the Bible well, and you're asking these questions, context, what's repeated? What does it say about God and about us? Well, Jesus is the God-man, right? Fully God, fully man. If you read the Bible well, you will come face to face with a crucified and a resurrected Jesus who's inviting you into death and out the other side. There's only one way to make sense of Scripture's story. Ultimately, one way to make sense of Scripture's story, and that is 
Jesus. Click that next slide. Understanding, excuse me, the person and the work of Jesus is the melody to the Bible's symphony. So without Christ, we have a symphony that's dissonant and it's almost out of tune and it bothers us and it reminds us of the brick walls and dead ends that we try to live in. But with Jesus, he is the melody Messiah and he makes everything make sense and everything sounds the way it's supposed to. So that when now you can take your time and you can go to Leviticus and rather than going, what in the Moses, you can go, yes, that shows me God's holiness. I need him. It shows me how I'm called to live a sacrificial life before him, a holy life before him. So if we, yes, we need these four pictures. We need to be like Ezra. We need to be like Jeremiah. We need to be like the Bereans. We need to be like Peter in John chapter 6. And that means asking a ton of questions. <clears throat> I gave you three. What's the context? What's repeated? What does it say about God and us? But what it comes down to is, are you going to live in your story that won't come true? Or are you going to live in God's story that is coming true? How is it coming true? Through our one Lord, one Savior, one faith, one baptism, our one Lord, Jesus Christ. He is the melody <clears throat> to the Bible's symphony. And if you try to unlock it any other way but Christ, it won't work. <clears throat> He's the hero to the story. Next slide. <clears throat> Understanding the Bible in a way that leads to Jesus will result in us living like Jesus and experiencing the life he offers. That is exactly what you guys have been talking about this semester. <clears throat> and this is not um, in the abstract. Uh, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by the devil. And every temptation Jesus faced, <clears throat> he quoted scripture. And you're like, oh yeah, we should know the Bible, yeah. Well, keep pushing. He quoted all three times out of the same book, Deuteronomy, which means he read it in context. And if you push even further, the devil goes, well, well, Jesus says man shouldn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And the devil goes, oh yeah, well, doesn't the Bible say, and quote, the devil quotes scripture back at Jesus. And if you keep pushing, the devil leaves out a middle line in Scripture. So Jesus said every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is how we should live, and the devil can't do that. So, so you need to see that what we're inviting you to is not something that Jesus has not already done, giving us an example to do. Again, if you want to live the life Jesus offers, you have to embrace the lifestyle that he modeled he is our one Lord. He is the melody to the Bible symphony. I, I, I don't know how else to encourage you guys with this. I know, I know that you're at such a season of life where you're trying to figure out who you really are. And that feeling will stick around. But the more rooted your identity can be in the story that is coming true, in the Lord, who has killed death, and he's, he's our resurrected Lord. The more your identity can be rooted in him, the more the winds and storms of your life will hold because of Jesus. He's our one Lord. And so this story that we have in Holy Scripture points to him, looks to him, awaits him, and highlights his person and his work, who he is. He's the God-man. And so, the answer to our four pictures, like, <clears throat> dude, how do we be like Ezra and all those people just bowing down and worshiping? How are we going to be like Jeremiah? Your words were found and I ate them and they became to be my joy and my heart's delight. How are we going to be like Jeremiah? How are we going to be <clears throat> Berean, examining the scriptures daily to make sure these things are so? How are we going to be like Peter? Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. How are we going to do those things? The answer is to trust wholly and fully Jesus himself. The answer is to depend completely and totally on Jesus himself. There is no other way. This is not a multiple choice. The written word of God <clears throat> is to highlight the glory and beauty of the incarnate word of God, Jesus himself. And if you're following Jesus... This is going to be a beautiful journey that you have before you to understand and study Scripture well. 
And so I'm going to pray over you guys that these things will be true in your life. And maybe, you know what, I'm just going to ask the band to come up and, and let's just take 30 minutes. And what I want you to do is just pray, Lord, give me a hunger for your word. In your own way, just if you guys could be quiet and chill and still for a second, just take 30 seconds and let's pray. And pray, Lord, please give me a hunger for your word and your truth. So let's take some time and pray. Jesus, I thank you for these brothers and sisters gathered. And I pray that your word would be life to them. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would stir in their hearts a passion, a fervor, a zeal, a joy, a desire to do Jeremiah, to eat your word, that it would become a delight to them. I pray that you would use them in such a way that Greenville would be changed by their love of you because of their love for your word. I pray that in their schools and with their friends and with their families, that they would stand on the sure foundation of your truth, Jesus. And as they stand planted in this true story that you would emerge as the hero as victorious as king you are our one reigning and ruling lord and i pray right now that all of the things that distract us the weights and the sins that so easily entangle us that we would relinquish those that we would loosen our grip on those and we would cling tightly to you jesus as our king and that we would want our own stories lost in yours. Jesus, please make that true of my brothers and sisters. Make your word our life and make your glory our goal that we would live to make you famous. Please, Jesus. Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus, we love you. You're the best. Amen.